0: Well, good morning. Uh, hey, if, if you guys would be so kind as to fill in some empty seats that might be in the middle of your sections, because we still got some, some people kind of roaming and looking for some seats, and especially now that the, uh, the kids have left, there might be some open seats out there. So we have this awesome problem that we have to address every week of, of filling up this room, and that's just, uh, that's exciting. That's a great problem to have. Uh, well, as we get started, um, we decided to add one more week to this A to Z this essentials for your journey uh, last week, Troy I thought this was awesome Troy gave us these you know bookmark cards for you to use to have these action words these things to take steps to start doing to start putting into practice what God has set before us to be in relationship with him now uh, if you are anything like me, uh, you may wrestle within yourself. I'll just speak in terms of I. I wrestle within myself about, but what if it doesn't turn out well? What if it doesn't work? What if I have these great expectations of blessing or fulfillment or something and it doesn't happen? What then? What if? What now? And so we're going to be taking an, an woo, we're going to be taking an honest look at the journey. We've been talking about the essentials for the journey. So today we're going to engage in a conversation about the journey itself. Because if your journey is anything like mine, you've experienced some doubt, some disappointment, some pain, some frustration some expectations that were not met. And you had to wrestle with what to do with those. So to kind of set the stage a little bit and engage in this conversation about what does it mean to get up off the couch and start taking steps towards what we were meant to be about in relationship with Him, uh, I think I know I needed to take a pretty honest look inward and what's going on in me, what's propelling me, to try to take a step. Because the reality is we've all experienced some hurt and pain. And and when I prepare for a message like this, a lot of times it ends up starting as almost like journal form. And instead of trying to, you know, recount uh, all that I wrote and make some slides and all that, I decided I was just going to read you what I wrote to kind of go into the... A journey that's led me to here today. Um, and so maybe some of you will resonate, um, but either way, we just want to begin the conversation about the journey. I was two years old when I was bit by a dog that left scars on my face that I still have today. It wasn't too long after that that I first heard the voice. The voice that manifested itself in response to the feelings that were evoked when asked about my scars, even at the age of four and five years old, the voice simply said, there's something wrong with you. At about the age of six, I had a babysitter who took advantage of her liberties as caretaker by teaching me how to kiss and therefore took advantage of me. Although the abuse was not to the extent that some have experienced, it was still confusing, and I silenced myself out of fear of raising any issues at all. It was at that age that I started to adopt strategies to try and silence that voice, although my attempts would only make the voice multiply. My strategy was to try and appear good enough and not burdensome enough so that I don't get brought into the light so that I may not be seen for what I am, damaged, and only seen for how I am perceived a good, amicable, likable, compliant, average kid. Not above average because that would require too much responsibility and not below average because that would disappoint I came to know Jesus and opened the door of my heart to his knocking when I was about six or seven. I certainly didn't know what I was doing, but it was real. And in the third grade, I was introduced to pornography. The imagery was confusing, the confusion was painful. The belief that I had to conquer or at least maintain my confusion as to not raise suspicion was painful. Even when confronted by my parents about the immorality of pornography, I squirmed at being caught and wanted to escape the feeling of doing something wrong more than I wanted to seek out understanding, let alone forgiveness. I was baptized at 10 years old, again, not knowing exactly what I was doing, but knowing that I believed it. Even in the midst of the nagging voice that continued to drill into me that I was incomplete, inadequate, and must become someone and something else if I was ever to find acceptance. The burden of my pain and confusion could not be shared unless I be left alone. The toxic shame set in when I was yet again abused by a friend. I was old enough to know that his behavior was wrong and that I hated it. And yet I felt that telling someone or my parents was more tragic than the abuse itself. So I remained painfully and solitarily quiet I began to operate very functionally as a survivalist. I no longer sought thriving life, but simply survival with the least amount of resistance. If I engaged my whole self, if I let the vulnerable posture of being known and to seek out knowing, then I would be exposed for the incompetent, inadequate, spineless, damaged mistake that I felt I was. The voice that began by saying there is something wrong with you had become powerful, and it was ruling the decisions I made, the relational circles I pursued, and the need to mask the pain, all the while maintaining a relatively successful Christian existence. Pornography became my drug of choice to medicate although the fear of being found out would make me refrain for long periods of time without ever addressing the root issue. I would beg and plead with God to take this thorn from me, and I would hear his voice tell me to confess to someone. But the fear of disappointing others was louder than his still small voice. I would experience spiritual highs and lows, I felt as though I must have been doing something right when I felt on a high, and I felt as though I was a hopeless wretch when I experienced lows, both of which did not leave much room for God to be God, and for me to be me as he made me. And so the cycle continued. My relationships with girls became an outlet for my need to mask pain. Although I maintained my virginity, I was attempting to fill a void, but was left empty. The cycle continued. I would feel shame and instead of pursuing forgiveness and intimacy, I would end the relationship because it was too scary to admit that I was wrong and needed help. Because of my own hurt and pain, I was now relationally hurting others. And then I get married. And I bring this painful bag of toxic shame hidden beneath the veneer of a good Christian worship leader into a relationship so intimate that I can no longer run, I can no longer pretend, I can no longer hide, and a relationship where I can no longer just end out of fear. But I tried, and I continue to try to this day. After 10 years of marriage, three kids, and lots of counseling, I continue to try and mask the pain of my past, and I continue to be, if not the, source of hurt in our relationship. My awareness of God and myself is growing, which is both freeing, and yet it doubles the pain when the lies rear up, and I step out of stride with kingdom living. So why do I tell you this story? Number one, to tell you that it took a painful journey for me to realize that I can't Do it on my own. I am not able on my own. That I need others, I need God and others around me to get up off the couch, to start taking those steps, to be able to face the realities of what the journey is going to bring. Because I believe that our faith is in a very real Jesus in the midst of a very real world and not a fantasy that escapes us from something that might be hard. And so we begin the conversation. So we begin to get up out of the couch and we begin to apply the essentials of the faith that we talked about last week. And so if Some of you may be resonating already with some of my stories. Some of you may be identifying things within your own story and your own journey right now. That's good. That's where we can begin the conversation. So to begin, let's just pray and ask God to meet us where we're at. God, thank you for meeting us where we are at. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for making us the way you created us. Help us to be vulnerable enough to engage in the conversation pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So to engage in this conversation about the journey, about the steps that we take that are going to increase our faith, increase the uh, fulfillment of our life, yet also be honest about the pain and the disappointment that life is going to bring, we have to begin to talk about our purpose and our design. God created us. He created us specifically. He created us uniquely. He created us with DNA to operate as a human should operate. Psalm 139 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. I know that I've felt that before, where I've been just so amazed at how God would create me, Would God would create the uniqueness and the intricacies of the human being to be able to be in relationship. It's mind-boggling how he did this, So, and it's wonderful, and it stirs up something in my soul that resonates, that says, yes, this is what we were made for, and yet, in our very same Bibles that is inspired by the same Holy Spirit to give us instruction and direction, we also see verses like this that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I know I felt like that. I felt like that on both sides. Desperately sick as well as amazed at how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. So how do we do that to come to, to face-to-face with our journey? How do we do that to continue to take steps, bold steps of faith? I'm going to be drawing from a lot of uh, resources that I found from this author named Chip Dodd. I'd encourage you to read this book called Voice of the Heart. Because in it, he talks about how God created us with DNA. And yet, human beings are the only creatures that carry DNA that can attempt to refuse their DNA. DNA that can attempt to operate outside of the way they were made. Only humans. You see, we were designed to be relational beings. We were designed to be in relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. And yet we start to refuse and attempt to deny that DNA and that reality. And the way that we express this DNA, the way that we express the way we're supposed to be meant together is through feelings. Now, I know especially guys are like, oh great, we're gonna talk about feelings. Yes, we're gonna talk about feelings, but we're talking about them as organs, as a muscle that was meant to flex, that was a part of our design to say, it's supposed to just work this way. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, dang that spleen for doing what it's doing. I wish it didn't do that. I wish my lungs would stop filling up with air. It's embarrassing. Nobody talks like that because they're organs. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And so these feelings that God created in us, they're trying to do what they were meant to do. And these feelings that we have are passwords. You know, when you go to log into something, uh, like an iTunes account, I had to help my father-in-law one time. He said, can you help me with my computer and get some stuff set up? I said, sure. What's your password? Uh... It's probably one of these three, and, the, you know, and it began this like journey of, "We're stuck if I don't get that password. Because what does it do? It lets you in. It lets you into what's really going on on the inside. Our, the way we feel and the way we're designed is also meant to be a lantern, not a beacon. Because lanterns do what? They give you enough light to see to take the next step of the journey. So as we look at these things that we practice, it might evoke something in us that we're meant to feel so that we can then take the next step. We may not be able to see all the way down the road, but the way that we feel and express that in a relationship can give us insight in to take the next step. And they're also meant to be keys. Keys that can unlock doors that we've locked long time ago. When we're willing to allow ourselves to feel the things that Uh, God intended us to feel, we can unlock those doors and begin to experience what he intended, which was life abundant, life to the full in relationship with others, in relationship with him, with the relationship within ourselves. And so there's eight feelings. If you guys are note takers, I would encourage you to take notes because this is going to be a little bit analytical. We're going to move quick, but we're going to talk about these things that are very true of us. Again, we're talking about muscles here that flex organs that are doing their job. And I think that some of you are going to uh, relate and maybe stir something up, and that's what you especially need to take note of. Am I uh, doing something wrong here that's making it feedback? Anyway, so all of our, these eight feelings, there's going to be an impairment. There's going to be the attempt to reject the DNA of how we're made. To move away from what it was intended, when we allow ourselves to feel the way God intended us to feel, then we 're going to see the gift of what these things are. Now, let me give a quick disclaimer. I had somebody tell me at the first uh, service, and I thought this was a valid point. I am not trying to make any kind of claim about medical realities. I know that there are medical uh, you know depression conditions and medical anxiety, and so i'm I'm not trying to. I know that those exist and are needed. Uh, we're talking about uh, the things that are true in all of us. We engage in impairment and in gifting of these emotions all the time. And so I'm not meant to like, isolate the, the medical realities of, of what's going on. Okay, so we're gonna move quickly. What's the first thing that we uh, may feel is hurt. Right out, of the, right out of the gate, going with hurt. Hurt is a feeling that tells us that we are in need of healing. When I get, when somebody's pinching my skin, it hurts and it awakens a need inside of me, a need for them to stop. Because I need that to not hurt anymore. Now, the denial, the rejection of allowing ourselves to feel pain, to engage in pain, is resentment. Whoops, wrong way. Somebody, You may think that it's just the denial of hurt to pretend that you're not in hurt. Actually, it's going to manifest itself much more dark than that because the reality is you are experiencing the pain. The muscle is flexing. But when you try to deny that and impair it, you start to point your finger at everybody else and blame them for why you're hurting. And you resent that. It creates isolation. It makes you take a step backwards on the journey, not forward into life full. It takes a step backwards into isolation, whereas the gift of hurt is healing. This hurts, and I need healing. Loneliness. Why would God design us to feel lonely? That sounds awful. Because loneliness is what tells us that we're made for relationship. It tells us that we're made to be together. It tells us that we're made to not do this journey alone, to not try to uh, check off all the boxes on the verb list and so I can say I did it. Loneliness tells us I need to be doing this with God, with others. When we try to deny and reject the feeling of loneliness, it leads us to apathy. And apathy is resigning from life, it isolates us. The the deceiver, the evil one, has great apathy, not hatred. Because he's going to work his hardest to make you feel indifferent and that you can do it on your own. The gift of loneliness is intimacy. When I can feel that tug of wanting to be known and wanting to know somebody, it's what would give me the courage to take that step of faith. Take that risky, vulnerable step of faith to be known. And so loneliness actually leads us into intimacy. Sadness. Fun morning, huh? (laughs) Again, why would God design sadness within us? Why would he have that be something to be an essential for the journey of our faith? Why would he do that? Because sadness allows us to deal with life on life's terms. The impairment, if we try to reject the feeling of sadness, it leads to self-pity. I become a victim. My circumstance is what has done this to me, and it's outside of myself. It creates isolation. It takes the step backwards yet again. And self-pity is really just an attempt to escape grief. The gift of sadness is acceptance. Now, when I say acceptance, I'm not trying to say that you just stick your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 it's fine. No, it's good, it's good. That's not acceptance. Acceptance is a recognition that it's not okay, but that's okay. <laughs> if that's not confusing, I don't know what it is. It's recognizing that it's that the, 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 the realities and the hardships of life, the, the disappointments that happen, they are just that. Hardships, disappointments, things that create sadness. But when I am able to say, yes, this is sad, and this is painful, and this is hurts, but I'm able to uh, accept that as sad, it's the very thing that's gonna give me the courage to say, I will hope again. I will take a step, and I will love again. I will take a step, and I will trust again, whereas self-pity is going to keep on taking steps backwards to try to remove yourself from that. Fear. Now, in Christian circles, we talk a lot about, you know, there is no fear in love, and I believe that. I believe that with all my heart, but the kind of fear that we're talking about is a very, I mean, first and foremost, it's a, it's a visceral fear. It lets us know when we're in danger. If somebody walked through these doors waving a gun, everybody would have a surge of adrenaline and they would feel something because all of a sudden it just got scary. And so it tells us that there might be uh, danger. But the impairment, the attempt to resist and reject fear, healthy fear, leads us to anxiety. Anxiety. And again, I'm not talking about the diagnosable anxiety. I'm talking about the kind of anxiety that comes from trying to resist our own DNA. Because that anxiety will lead to worry. That worry will lead to control. And that control, or the lack thereof, is what will lead to rage. When you try to control something that is out of control and it's just not happening, it leads to rage. And rage is murderous because rage says, I will destroy you to make sure that I'm okay. And it is so opposite to the design of fear because all of the giftings are meant for relationship. They're meant to be drawn together and all of the impairments isolate and reinforce a belief that you can do this journey on your own. Whereas the healthy acceptance of the gift of all these feelings says you need others to do this journey. You can't do it on your own. You are not able to do it on your own. The gift of fear is recognizing that you need help. Help, help, I'm drowning. As opposed to the drowning man just trying to swim out. I need help. That's an invitation, as opposed to anxiety, which says, I need to be on the lookout for what's about to harm me. So you see the difference. One isolates. One is an invitation. Shame. Again, why would God allow us and design us to feel shame? Healthy shame. Healthy shame is the most human feeling because it is a, uh, uh, the feeling that tells us of our dependence, It tells us of our neediness. It speaks of an oxymoron. It's confident dependency. Acceptance, desperation. It is the feeling that tells us that it is okay to be human. That I am not God, and that's okay. The attempt to reject shame leads to contempt. If I'm not able to say that I'm okay being human, then I hate my humanity I am in contempt of the v- my very humanness and that is dangerous the gift of healthy shame is humility and empathy when I can recognize how I have been harmed and then I can recognize how that I harm others. That's what allows me to come alongside somebody on the journey. To come, on, come alongside somebody as they are taking their steps of faith because yeah, I've been there. I know this is hard. We can do it together. Versus saying I hate myself for not being able to do this alone. Anger. Anger is another one that, in Christian circles especially, we uh, don't know how to talk about very well because we just try to rid ourselves of it. Anger is a feeling that shows us what really matters to us. Synonyms of anger are hope, wanting, yearning, longing, wishing, all are synonymous with anger. Now, anger, this is not permission especially when you hear stories of abusive marriages where this says, I I just love you so much, you make me angry. No, that would be rage. That's an attempt to control. This is simply saying, I desire more. Great example is that of, of parents. I mean, I got three boys and if they were marching themselves to the edge of a cliff, You better believe that I wouldn't say, hey, buddy, there's a a thing there. You're probably going to want to take a step back. No, you better believe I'm going to go, stop! Don't go there! It's going to hurt you, and I desire more for you than that hurt that you will experience if you go there. And so it's, again, it's an invitation into what matters. Impaired, attempt to, re- to reject the way God intended that angry feeling leads to depression. And again, I'm not talking about clinical, diagnosable, medical depression. I'm talking about the beach ball analogy. I'm sure you've all heard when you try to shove a beach, beach ball underwater. Not only does it want to rise up out of the water again, it gains Momentum. The tension actually grows because you, you put it, you depress it under this much energy and it blows up even higher. So it actually builds tension. The gift of anger is passion. I don't know if any of you, uh, you know, have seen a, a preacher pound his fists on a pulpit It looks, if you took the audio out, it would look angry. But he's speaking passionately. You know, and we just celebrated Martin Luther King, and he said, I have a dream. And he spoke to something within us that claimed our humanity, that desired something more than what was. He did not say, I have a plan. We resonated with that passion because it spoke something to the longing for more. We desired something more of life, which is what God intended for us. He gave us that feeling so that we would pursue thriving life. Guilt. Guilt tells me that I've done something wrong. Healthy guilt says, I just did something that is against the way I'm created. I just did something that is opposed to my own DNA. I did something that's against what's best for me, and I'm sorry. Impaired guilt, the attempt to reject that kind of guilt is toxic shame, as I talked about in my story. Because I made a mistake, I am no longer lovable. I have to be perfect to be okay. Toxic shame tells us that we need to be self-made, which as we've been talking about the essentials of the journey, the number one essential is that you are not meant to journey alone. And toxic shame will tell you you have to do it alone, or else you won't be lovable or accepted. And that was reality in my world. I felt that and still struggle with that. The gift of guilt for the journey is forgiveness and reconciliation. Gladness. Finally, right? (laughs) Something lighthearted. Don't get your hopes up. Because (laughs) the reality of gladness, of true joy, not just happiness, I, uh, I went to a Brad Paisley concert on Thursday and I got to meet Brad Paisley. I was very happy. That was a very, very happy moment because I just, you know, as a guitar player, I'm close to idolize him. And, but that didn't fill me with joy. The impairment, if I try to reject gladness the way God intended gladness to be, uh, it leads to sensuous activity without heart disconnected for me as I said it was pornography for others it might be eating it might be shopping I don't know but as soon as you try to engage in these activities to try to drum up a feeling of happiness and yet your heart is disengaged it's just that a sensuous activity that doesn't fill you with joy true gladness is joy with the sadness. Again, we talked about sadness, being able to accept the reality of what's around you. So true joy, true gladness is joy with sadness. And we see this in Psalm 16:9, where he says, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I read this verse and I feel like this speaks to everything we're talking about. When he is fully engaged, his whole being is engaged, he experiences gladness. And do you see what it does to his environment, where he dwells? When he's fully engaged, when he is fully alive, when he is living the way God intended him to live, his dwelling is secure because that is not what's going to define him. He is in relationship with God and with others and within himself. We talk about these these activities, you know, this this list of words that we have that are verbs, action steps, uh, marching orders uh, that are incredibly helpful. And as we've talked about it here, we often say that these are meant to help you take a step of faith, to take another step of faith Well, some of you may have a definition of faith that's going to lead you to disappointment. Because for some of you, faith might be happiness. Or for some of you, faith might be a lack of problems because I operated in faith. Faith is simply this, hope plus risk for an outcome that is relationally a blessing. And when I allow myself to feel, when I allow myself to engage in the, these emotions that God gave me to be connected with others, when that faith is disappointed, I have the certainty to hope again, to risk again for an outcome that is relationally a blessing, even in the midst of it turning out disappointing. Shaddaad in his book, he talks about passion as being the ultimate of our very creation. We are meant to live passionately, live all in. And he says, passion is the willingness to be in pain for something that matters more than pain. I allowed my pain to be the center of my existence in my journey for so long And I still to this day wrestle with that. I still struggle with trying to mask my own pain. And yet when I catch these glimpses of living passionately and living fully, it inspires me on the journey to move, to not stay stuck in the way things currently are, but to desire more to hope for more, to risk for more, to do these things on the list for an outcome that is relationally a blessing. So God put, uh, Troy put this up on the slide a couple of weeks ago, just start putting God's plan into practice, because this is God's plan for you to flex those muscles, to be able to feel them fully so that you can live in relationship with him, live in relationship with others, live in relationship with, within yourself. To not do it alone because you are not able to do it alone. Uh, there's a song that I just... You know, every once in a while you come across a song that just stops you. And I know I'm a musician, and so you may think that that happens all the time, but it doesn't. Uh, And this song, it's by Need to Breathe, and it just simply says, I'm not able on my own. It speaks to everything that we're talking about. And so... uh, I wanted to, to sing it for you guys, and, and just so you know, this is more terrifying than anything. Uh, you know, I get up here and I sing a lot, but when I am connecting to the, the song and it's, there's a lot of eyes looking at me, it gets scary. But this. Uh, this song just simply says, "There's a host of hurts we come across, none of which alike, from the air inside the birthing room to the darkness where we die, and though I feel I'm just as strong as any man, I'm not able on my own." The next verse just says, "Carry around the secrets that only heaven knows. We crawl into our darkened rooms where only victims go. And though I feel I'm strong enough to carry all this load, I'm not able on my own. On this journey, we are not able on our own.
1: There's a host of hurts we come across, none of which are like. From the air inside the birthing room to the darkness where we die, though I feel just as strong as any man I know I'm not able I'm not the secrets, only heaven knows. We crawl into our darkened rooms where only victims go. Though I feel I'm strong enough to carry all this load, I'm Amen.
0: to do this on our own. So as you go to the tables right now, and I would encourage you even in, in throughout this week, as you took one of those bookmarks that has those lists, one of those might have jumped out at you and made you feel something, explore that. Allow yourself to feel that and ask questions and share that with somebody. Because the reality is we're not able on our own. We can't do this on our own. So as you go to the table and celebrate God's sacrifice for you, ask him to impress on your heart who you need to be sharing this life to the full with. Let's pray. God, you are good and merciful in your design and creation of us and the fact that you put a plan of redemption in place so that we have hope and a promise to know that the pain will end when we are with you. We are grateful that you gave us not only the tools to experience this life fully, but the opportunity uh, and the gift of being in relationship with you and with others. Uh, as we journey. Help us along the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.